Hi everybody, I'm Ralph ben Mergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, a podcast where I clearly say I'm not a rabbi, but if I was, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. Uh, which brings me to today's episode, I might add. Uh, I'll tell a little story. Uh, rabbis are just supposed to tell stories. Uh, so uh, the story goes that I was uh, in a program uh, for the Aleph ordination program to be uh, a mashpiach uh, in the Hashpa'ah program, a spiritual director, which is something I do now. One of the things I do is counsel one-on-one and do group workshops uh, on aging and saging and the like. While I was in that, uh, I met a whole cohort of people. I was, I think, except for one of the rabbis who was teaching, the only Canadian in the room. And uh, I sat with my uh, brothers and sisters and learned to love so many of them. Uh, and one day I was sitting beside one I'd taken a particular shine to. I just thought he was just an interesting and wonderful person. And we were both sitting there, and it had been a long day of, you know, talks and circles and practicums and all these beautiful things on our three-year journey. And we were in Portland, just outside of Portland, Oregon, at a retreat center. It was a, a Christian retreat center, actually. And we were looking out the window, and there were some trees and woods on the other side of a small a creek, and a bald eagle came and landed. And I noticed it, and my seatmate didn't. And I said, Zelig, there's like an bald eagle there. And he turned to me and he said, oh, that's some good medicine. And I said, I'd never thought of it that way. (laughs) And I realized, indeed, it was good medicine, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, I did the three-year course, and off I went. Zelig kept going. He went to Israel, studied at yeshiva for a while, and uh, entered the ordination program to become a rabbi. Now, I will say that before all that, uh, he was uh, an environmental lawyer, a good one, and uh, enjoyed the work to a degree, but always felt it wasn't quite the right target for his life, and spent some time with First Nations people in the United States, uh, learning from them and their wisdom, and found himself uh, very much attached to more of an embodied kind of Judaism, a Judaism that was really rooted in where your feet land, the earth. And over the years, I've watched what he's done from a distance, and what he does uh, is uh, Wilderness Torah and... It's a fascinating thing. There's a website, and we'll talk about that and all that. But uh, I just really realized that it was time for he and I to reconvene without bald eagles uh, and just spend some time together. So he is indeed my guest this time on Not That Kind of Rabbi. So uh, Rabbi Zelig Golden, welcome Thank you, old friend. Thank you, Ralph, for inviting me here. It's good to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, There's a lot to talk about, uh, but I wanted to start with a a fundamental idea that I originally encountered through uh, Rabbi uh, Arthur Wasco, where he spoke about ideas like eco-kosher and eco-spirituality and wonderful things. 
And when I look through what you've been doing, uh, the idea is earth-based Judaism. So I thought it would be really interesting and good for people to hear from you about what that means. What to you, what does earth-based Judaism look like? There, it might be worth starting with the distinction um, that there's um, Jewish environmentalism, which is, uh, you know, applying Jewish wisdom and sourcing Jewish values on how to live an environmentally sound life, how to inform environmental policy, etc. Um, and then there's the culture of being a human being on planet Earth. And when I speak about Earth-based Judaism, I'm really speaking more about what it means to be a human being, um, what it means to be a culture, what it means to be a society. And in particular, looking at Judaism and understanding that Judaism um, is an ancient culture, and it's a culture with deep roots in place, and that those roots in place um, have been disrupted repeatedly through history. So as my teacher, um, Rabbi Zalman Shakta Shalomri, uh, may his memory be a blessing, he, he said that Judaism is a PTSD religion, and I've really come to understand the deep truth of that, that because of the discontinuities, because of the uprootedness, because of exile, um, we've lost the, the basic connections to the place where we began, where we formed, where we um, became a people. Um, and it's both for cultural reasons, both for the health of people reasons, but also because of the times we're in ecologically. Um, we need to remember that we are part of the, we, we are part of the, the tribes that are earth people. And so, um, and when we begin to remember that, um, it's, you don't have to dig very deep, um, but our traditions are very much connected to and formed by the earth. And when we begin to dig a little deeper, I think it begins to change how we uh, live our lives as Jews and it also how we change, how, how we um, affect the world and how we treat the world um, as human beings. And so earth-based Judaism is a, is a cultural lens on remembering something central to our Jewishness. You know, one of the things that I find, and I'm thinking particularly of movements within Judaism that move away from rational Judaism, and the advent of the Jubu movement, where the vast majority of leaders of American Buddhist thought are, are people who were Jewish and became that, Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, those kinds of people. And this yearning within the community by some for something different than what's on offer in the, on the Bima, in the Devars that people hear uh, in, in much of mainstream Judaism. The people that come to you for the experiences that you give them out in the desert and at retreat center, um, what are they coming with and what happens to them as they start to connect more with that embodied kind of Judaism? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the, 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 the thread, this very strong thread of Jewish leaders in the Buddhist um, movement or um, Jews who have you know, become part of the yoga culture um, or, or, or various um, strands, I, I, I think that um, a substantial aspect of that is people really not finding um, aliveness, rootedness, embodiment inside of the, the synagogues and the communities where they grew up because of the PTSD factor, because it's, a, it's essentially a traumatized, a traumatized tradition that's recycling 
um, disembodiment and over-rationalization. So uh, you said it well, you know, that there are movements of looking to for less rational approaches. Now, I, I think that the mind is essential um, and that the, the uh, survival strategy of becoming over-rational um, is one of the aspects of what saved Judaism. But the work of Wilderness Torah and the belief that I carry is that we have to rebalance things once again. Um, we have to be in our bodies as much as we are in our minds. We have to focus on our spirits and our souls. Um, we have to really focus on the heart. Um, and so, you know, from uh, the First Nations peoples, the earth-based uh, indigenous peoples that I've encountered, I've found um, more balanced approaches to um, living human lives, community lives, and spiritual lives when people are connected to the earth, when they're connected to the elements, when they have a relationship to fire in a sincere and authentic way, when they have a relationship to water in a sincere and authentic way, when they have a relationship to the plants and the birds and the animals of their place, when they feel comfortable walking barefoot on the land and that's not uh, scary or uh, strange. Um, uh, and also when we can sit in discourse in, in the deep thought of our tradition, um, but earth-based Judaism is, um, you know, with our youth, it's highly experiential. Um, we have a Sunday school in the woods, Bechutz, that's entirely outdoors. So, um, you know, as much as learning the ancient stories from the Torah and the traditions, we're getting them outside and communing with the trees and the birds, um, having adventures. The B mitzvah, rite of passage, we have by nature. It's for our 11 to 13-year-olds. It's a two-year journey. And um, rather than focusing on Hebrew Torah and prayer, the indoctrination um, process and the performative aspect of coming of age, which is beautiful. Um, we have created by nature, which is more about going on the journey, the soul of each individual. What is there? How do we discover it? And how do we mark it with meaningful rite of passage, going out and sitting with your own fire on, all night long? Um, deep embodiment. And then with community, going out onto the land for many days, like Passover in the desert, which has become one of our hallmark uh, gatherings for five days in the desert as a village, praying, eating, dancing, celebrating, and then Sukkot, reviving, um, probably, in my opinion, one of the most important ceremonies that our culture has all but forgotten, uh, the Simcha Beit HaShoeva Hoshana Rabbah rain dance, um, that understand that Jews didn't just have a connection to the land, but that through our ceremony, prayer, and our very being and the offerings we made, we um, helped rebalance the climate of our upbringing. We were a part of keeping the climate in balance. In a time of great climate catastrophe that's here and increasing, um, what more important endeavor than to deep, dig deep into our culture and understand how do we become part of the cultural, spiritual, and ecological solution, not just in the halls of Washington, D.C. or in the Canadian Parliament, wherever you all in Canada do your activism, um, but in the, the fields of, you know, wherever we live. And I'm not just talking about uh, Jerusalem, although that is where the traditions arose. I'm talking about California. I'm talking about Toronto. I'm talking about New York, Los Angeles, wherever we are now. Um, Buenos Aires, you know. Um, let us dance for the rain again. Let us remember that we are a part of the ecosystem. We are earthlings. Um, and that's, that's, the, the, that's the deep work. It's, it's personal healing, it's communal healing, and it's remembering on a deep cultural level, what it means to be um, responsible human beings on planet Earth once again. So part of the tradition 
<clears throat> I remember I was talking to a group of reform rabbis in, in, in Canada here uh, about uh, hashpa'ah, about spiritual counseling, because many of them found themselves, I, I find many uh, rabbis uh, really have been brought up in this scholarly approach, the rational approach, the, you know, what is the three-letter root of that word, and it could be this, and it could be that, how many angels on the head of a pin, you know, and these kinds of conversations, and I see the congregation yearning for something more. But when I spoke to them about this kind of earth-based idea, one of them thoughtfully stopped and said, well, that's pantheism, isn't it? You know, that's worship of nature. We don't worship nature. What do you say to that? Yeah, I would say that... Um... You got the wrong word, friend. Um, the real, the right <laughs> word is panentheism, um, right. and this is that God is in everything. That you know, Jews we worship one God, but to imagine that one God is some bearded person um, sitting on a throne in the sky is a kindergarten God. You know, that's the God of two or three thousand years ago, and you're missing the entire point if you still embrace that type of approach. Um, you know, the approach of Baal Shem Tov, the Rabbi Israel Ben Eliezer. Um, the great Hasidic sage and Baal Shem, master of the name, which means, in a sense, uh, you know, he's what the Siberian people would call a shaman, the kind of person who um, passed through the veils and understood the deep power of both nature but also of Torah, uh, that, um, <clears throat> that God is in this world, that, you know, if I'm holding a water bottle in my hand, that not just the water contains God, but the, the bottle itself is somehow um, an emanation of God, that when you're talking to a person, that person is an emanation of God. So too are the trees, the birds, the streams, the mountains, um, even the skyscrapers, you know, built by the, the ones who are B'Tselm Elohim in the image of God. You know, we are all created in that image. So um, when, when we have forgotten that the world, in a sense, our it, it, or, or we're just looking at the garments of God when we forget that, then we forget the deep truth and we're unable to provide the deep care and we end up in the situation we are in. But in a, in a um, you know, uh, Ju Judaism um, throughout its history understood and forgot, understood and forgot that God is in all these things and um, we're remembering again. And then there's the idea of every Friday turning towards the door and hoping that the bride of Sabbath appear and the feminine divine exists. It, it seems so strange sometimes when I think about this idea that we are in a religion that has in exile its feminine, feminine form and what effect that has on our ability to do what you were just talking about to connect to the idea that everything is God and that there is within the life force of the planet and the life force of the universe, there is the idea of what is actually meant by divine. Why are we a people who have created this idea that the feminine, the Shekhinah, the, the feminine is not welcomed at this point in, in, in what we do by, by the religion? Yeah, well... <laughs> I think that, Ralph, you're asking one of the central questions. And, um, you know, the way I would say it is um, maybe it's not why is it not welcome, but why do we continue to believe that we're in exile? And um, the story of exile 
is one of the core stories of, of Jewish formation. Um, and, you know, when exactly that begins, maybe we get different opinions, but my, my belief system, my, my, what I've come to understand is that when the second temple fell in 70 CE at the hands of the Romans, the taproot of the tree of the Hebrew people was cut very violently, very swiftly, and uh, in some ways, uh, almost completely. And that um, we were scattered from the roots of our, uh, of our um, earth-based creativity uh, and upbringing. And, you know, one could judge that as something horrible um, in time, or one might look at it as an interesting artifact of history. But regardless of how we look at it through history, we have to understand that we were cut from our core connection. And then if we look at the, want, the, the, the diaspora and the, the exile and the wandering through Spain and France and Italy, eventually in a very deep way, um, settling in, in Poland, um, Russia, as well as other parts of the world, I mean, Jews spread to the four directions, um, but we did so in a very ungrounded kind of way. And uh, as I referred to earlier, the intellectualization of Judaism was a profound survival strategy. We, the, the Talmud was, uh, was written between 200 CE and codified around 500 CE. And the way I think about the Talmud, the Talmud is the written discourse of the rabbis um, during those early years, um, you know, which began about 130 years after the destruction of the temple with the codification of the Mishnah, the first writings of Jewish tradition. And then for 300 years, the rabbis discoursed on that. What, you know, discoursing on tradition, on legal aspects, on stories, um, and codified that into this profound and deeply intellectual and almost impossible to understand unless you spend years cracking the code. You know, so you have to go to rabbinical school and beyond you know, to, to get access um, to the Talmud. And of course, that's changing with um, the technology of Safari online and, and the opening up uh, of the Talmud, et cetera. But, but that was a, an incredible survival strategy. Like, thank God the rabbis did that. Um, and it left us deeply, deeply in our minds so that to be a wisdom keeper inside of Jewish tradition, the way was to go learn for years upon years upon years, um, to just grasp the immensity of Jewish tradition. Um, and now it's time to uh, open, open that up. And it poses a challenge, because how can you both um, learn the studied tradition and also embody the studied tradition? It's, it's, it's a challenge of our time, but we have to balance um, these aspects out. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work, but they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pride, or bashed in, so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind. And protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass, an absolutely unbreakable clear covering. Call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation. That's M-E-T-A-L-E-X security.com. Remember, prevention is always better than the cure. I'm writing a book right now on uh, climate crisis as a spiritual crisis. That we are 
I guess I, I tend to think of Martin Buber and an I and thou relationship to the earth and to, to, to our relationships to each other and the I and it that we really are living in this society. How does your wilderness Torah deal with this idea of um, spirituality and climate? Yeah, thank you. I want to return to the last question because I feel like I gave half the answer and I realizing I left that. The, the juice. Right. And then we'll come to climate because it's all connected, of course. But I wanted to say that um, the feminine aspect, which you, you led me into discussing, and I sort of got, I, 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 I spoke up to the point where I began speaking about that. But that's the essence, in a sense, the, the, the return to an earth-based Judaism in its essence is a returning to an understanding that the feminine was in exile. What does that mean? First, it means, um, you know, we often speak of the earth as Mother Earth. When we leave that relationship to the mother, the one who suckles us, um, in this case, as a people, um, that is traumatic. And there is always a yearning to return back to the mother. When we leave our place, a place that um, is the the place of our upbringing. Let's say you live in a home for the first 20 years of your life and then a fire destroys it or you can move across the country because of, you know, work opportunities or, you know, the artifacts of modernity. Um, that is, that's a deep impact. In Judaism, the, the mystics of, of Sfat, the, 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 the Kabbalists, they deeply understood this. And they spoke about the Shekhinah, which, as you said, is the embodiment, the divine presence, the feminine presence of the divine, the indwelling presence, that the Shlina is in exile. But I actually think that when they said that, they got it exactly wrong. What they actually, I think, meant to say, or what they should have said, perhaps, is that we are in exile from her. In the Kabbalah Shabbat tradition, the Friday night service, you know, that's, um, that's from the medieval period. Um, the, the, the mystics created that Friday night service, and one of the traditions that you referred to is when after you sing L'chadodi, um, we open the doors and we rise and we say, Bowie Kala, Bowie Kala, come the bride, come the bride. And that they made a metaphor of the bride to the Shekhinah, the indwelling presence. And it's not that we believed that she's going to come walking in. But it's rather we stand up and we open the door and we say, now let us remember the thing that we forgot. Because human beings are the great forgetters, as Martin Prechtel says. We are the great forgetters. And so we need things to remind us. So we stand up and we, we turn towards the door and open up and look outside the synagogue or wherever we're praying. And we say, wow, she's actually here and we're actually not in exile. That's an old story. That's an old trauma response. We have to heal. We have to remember. We have to regain our, our, our connection. As much as it is um, physical and related to the earth, as much as it is spiritual and remembering the truth that, no, we actually are here in she, the, the, the quote, the she in quotes is here. We also have to remember that this process of exile was also part of a process of patriarchy and deep control of male-bodied people through time. And that Judaism in its studied and beautiful tradition has become overly male-dominated in its leadership and overly masculine in its approach. The intellectualization is one example. And so another deep aspect of remembering and returning to an earth-based approach is to balance our leadership and balance our approach with the feminine. Female voices on the bima, female voices, you know, um, in our podcasts, in, 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 our, in our writings, um, but also 
uh, more feminine approaches. So become more balanced in ourselves, such as being more in our body, as I've said before. Now this, and I'll, I'll now turn to the climate, if you don't mind, Ralph. Um, but this, mm, of course, I, I, I think that one of the the challenges of the environmental movement, and I'm an environmentalist, uh, at least I have been, and I, um, you know, went to law school in order to become an environmental lawyer. And I fought on the tip of the sword of the, of the, of the environmental movement. I focused on um, agriculture and uh, organic food and confronting the genetically modified food industry and Monsanto and Syngenta and Bayer and DuPont and that whole world. Um, but it's all connected. But when, one of the pieces I realized along the way is that I was, I was spiritually underdeveloped to be doing that work. And in fact, um, the work of fighting against the things that are slowly destroying our world is one important aspect. But the cultural aspect of remembering and re-embodying is what will fuel the deep activism. So I refer to Joanna Macy, who said it really, really beautiful. Joanna Macy is a mm-hmm. elder um, from the Bay Area um, who's now late in her life. She's an amazing uh, human being. And she speaks of the great turning. She said the great turning will require three pillars. The activism, like lawyers who, who, who fight and activists who fight and stop the bleeding and convince politicians to do things that need to happen, etc. There's economic and structural change, new ways of farming, new ways of getting energy, new, way, new economic systems, etc. And the third thing is the cultural change work that drives the activism and the economic and political change. So um, in terms of climate, we have to remember uh, to become earth people once again. And then from that place, do the pieces of the climate work that are needed, whether it's renewable energy, conservation, new technology, policy in the places where policy is made, etc. And in Judaism in particular, we have so much tradition around uh, being climate-oriented activists culturally. Um, as I spoke before, you know, we, we lived in the Levant and the place the place in the Middle East where it's dry, it's desert, and where we live and died by the rainfall. And in the years when it, or or the seven-year cycles when it didn't rain, um, we confronted famine and we um, we perished along with the other peoples, the other indigenous peoples in in that area. And and we have deep tradition on how to pray for rain and also on culturally how to um, confront processes when when the climate gets out, out of balance. The whole, one entire book of the Talmud, Ta'anit, it's about fasting and how we fast when there isn't enough rain. Um, it, so the deep culture will inform the deep activism and the structural change, and that, I think, is the essence of what it means to be Earth-based Jewish people in the time of climate change. You know, one of the aspects that you just touched on with activism and where it intersects with other things uh, I, I've, I've thought a lot about the idea that there's a lot of conversation in Judaism right now about tikkun olam, repair of the world, and yet I keep thinking that without that's not the first step. The first step is a tikkun hanefesh, that if we don't repair the soul, then we're just the you know the guy on the other side of the sidewalk with the sign screaming, "You're an idiot!" at the other person, and we just never really changed anybody. Uh, it's kind of a non-starter after idiot. Um, but I, I wonder where, when you're working with people, do you have a desired, 
destination that you would like to take them to in terms of the things you're talking about and these ideas of, of how to repair oneself in an effort to repair the world around them. Yeah, beautifully said, um, Raf. I'm going to take that with me. Tikkun HaNefesh, and what I, that might even be an order to it. Tikkun HaNefesh, repairing of the soul, which connotes individuals. Then Tikkun Ha'am, you know, the repair of the people. And then, you know, so we can each, we, each people on earth can look at itself from within and say, how do we need to repair our relationship? What if the, the Jewish people did that and the Christian people did that and the Muslim people did that and the Buddhist people did that and each nation did that, etc.? What a, what, what a transformation. Then we have tikkun olam. Then we can work together to repair the world. My goal um, <clears throat> is probably more of a process than a destination. Um, but I would say that there are some key aspects. Number one, I would say that we each have to really remember in a deep way um, the simple truth of the Hebrew in the Genesis story that each person is an earthling. And it's not an idea, it's an experience. So you can't just have this intellectual experience. You have to walk it and embody it. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a long walk for most people in modernity. But Adam, the original person, the earthling, is connected to Adama, the earth. And the translation of Adam to Adam is a, is a King James is translation. It's a bad translation. We should always translate that word Adam as earthling. And it does not connote a gender. It's not a man. It's a... It's a the original Adam is a hermaphroditic being that was from the earth. And if we could understand that all people, regardless of any kind of identity, has that in common, that we are from the earth, that we are made of the earth, that we have water running through our body, that fire animates us, that our air breathes us, you know, we are... Um, that is the essence. If we can deeply remember that by walking and spending time in nature and slowly remembering this in a bodied way, in a soul way, then tikkun ha-nefesh can happen. The other piece that is so critical, and this is one of the other pieces I've learned from indigenous peoples, um, the Lakota people in particular that I've had the deep opportunity to have relationship with through several family lines, is that when individual people in communities and societies remain uninitiated into the, into the culturally appropriate way into their life stages, that they become destructive people. So Give me an example of that. Uh, Donald Trump is, is a really nice example of a human being in an elder man's body um, who probably didn't make it out of uh, adolescence psycho-spiritually. He has other issues going on, but I think a key issue is that he wasn't initiated. Um, you know, a, a counterpoint, Barack Obama was initiated into manhood, very consciously by his elders, his grandmother in particular. But he had a community that understood the value of initiation. He was initiated. So, um, uh, the um, former prime minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, who by most measures is a fairly conservative um, you know, politician. During the lead up to um, the, uh, the Glasgow um, talks on climate change, he was out publicly speaking about um, that the, the deep issue with climate change today, yes, it's technological. Yes, it's about CO2 and methane. And yes, it's about um, energy production and consumption and, and conservation, and all these things. But he said, in its essence, what it really is about, it's about initiation. And that if human beings remain uninitiated 
and remain self-centered, adolescent, destructive people, we will continue to destroy the world as we are doing. And I thought that was amazing. If Boris Johnson was speaking about that, then I was like, wow, you know, little old me, you know, hanging out on, in coastal California, I'm actually onto something. <laughs> that if we, if we actually had the capacity, understanding, and scale to help individual people become initiated into each life stage from childhood into adolescence, that's what the bar mitzvah does in Judaism. Mm-hmm. But then more, most importantly, from adolescence into adulthood, which Judaism does not have an initiation for that, never did as far as I know, um, except maybe the chuppah, the wedding, but that's not really an initiation, especially not now when so many people don't get married. But what does it mean to become initiated from adolescence to adulthood? Well, the, the hallmark characteristic of being an adolescent is being self-centered. And that's, that's psychologically appropriate. You're discovering yourself. You're finding out who you are. You're learning about your body. You're learning about your sexuality. You're learning about what you like and don't like and da 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 But if we stay in suspended adolescence, that we stay self-centered, we continue looking at our navel-gazing experience and all we care about is me, me, me. What do I get? That leads to consumerism, capitalism, overconsumption, destruction. It's a tragedy of the commons. You know, What we have to do is we have to remember to initiate our adolescence into adulthood to remember that it's not about them at the center. Who's at the center now? Well, we have to put the earth at the center. We put the children at the center. We put the elders at the center. And that's what intact indigenous societies across the planet have done since human beings have been on planet earth. And this is an aspect that we have deeply, deeply forgotten. And then there has to be initiations into elderhood because without elders, the, the adults, um, the, the, you know, the, those who've been initiated, they don't have the grounding force they need. So those of us who are entering into our 60s, 70s, 80s, wherever it is appropriate, we need to be initiated into elderhood. So Wilderness Torah um, provides innovative initiation at the B mitzvah stage, but we are also in the process of developing um, elder initiations coming this year, as well as adulthood initiation um, journeys. And this is as important as anything to remember how to be conscious, healthy adults uh, and healthy, conscious uh, uh, culture on planet Earth today. Yeah, the um, you know my jam is the uh, elder initiation at this point, and and realize there's a. Uh, Carol Osborne is her name. She she had a, a wonderful line about the work itself, which was moving from role R O L E to soul. And how do we how do we do that? And what kind of honor is there in being an elder instead of being a senior getting discounts at uh, Walgreens or Shoppers here in Canada or whatever? Uh, but just trying to find a, a path because we now live longer than we've ever lived. And what are we to do with that time? And what is society to do with us as we get into that phase of our lives? And there's very little initiation uh, in that aspect as well. That there's, for many, there's just a, a, not a bridge to cross. They don't know how to get there from here. And, you know, there are people. I, I did a, a group of of men at a synagogue in Toronto a while ago, and the consensus in the group there was about. To, 13, I think 13 or 15 men. And at one point, one of them said, so he took out his business card and he said, so this is who we are. And the minute you take away my business card, there's no me. So I can't stop being this card. And I'd like to figure out how. So there was a really wonderful spirit in that. Um, 
Some of the courses you offer are online, right? Sure, yeah. Um, tell me about uh, that whole world that people who are coming out to uh, California can experience what you're doing with Wilderness Tour. How, how do people get engaged? Yeah, thanks for asking, Ralph. Um, so it's sort of new. Um, I just transitioned from being um, the executive director of Wilderness Torah. This is my 18th year now since the founding of Wilderness Torah with a small group. Um, and part of my new um, role as the director of spirituality and education is to help uh, develop and offer uh, a new online set of, offer set of uh, online offerings. And it remains to be seen exactly what they will be. Um, but we will begin uh, with offering a whole variety of online opportunities um, I have a meeting later today to solidify the, the ultimate plan, but the kinds of things we're talking about doing include um, regular monthly gatherings that people can become members of um, to touch on the power of the Hebrew calendar as the Jewish nature operating system and how we connect with the Hebrew month, the holidays that are within that month, what's happening in uh, the ecology and the natural cycle at that time, what's happening spiritually for ourselves and how we integrate all of that. Um, Earth-Based Judaism 101, it's a class I love to teach. Um, we'll be offering that again, just the basics of what does it mean to remember that Judaism is an Earth-Based uh, tradition. Talking how about... Do you, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just... It's just occur, how, how or have you had, and you must have had the conversations about how to scale wilderness Torah, how to make it so that there's a Canadian chapter of Wilderness Torah. There's an English, you know, that that you have some model that doesn't require an enormous Herculean task to get it off the ground and a ton of money. Have you given thought to that, how to scale Wilderness Torah into something that can touch more people? Uh, because the, the physical presence can be extremely powerful, and more so than the online. But... Give me some thoughts on that. Yeah, it's definitely true. You know, we're talking about an embodied experience, so taking it online um, is somewhat paradoxical. But we believe that um, the thinking and the learning, along with the kinds of exercises and, and invitations to do embodiment, um, can power, you know provide a powerful um, experience. In terms of scaling, we have thought about it, um, and we are taking steps currently to scale um, one particular program as the beginning. Um, Wilderness Torah did, and I'll tell you about that, but back um, uh, almost 10 years ago, for two years, we offered what was called the Wilderness Torah Training Institute. And it was a one-week immersive experience in the mountains of, San, uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains of, of California. And we went through um, all the basic teachings that we could around Earth-based Judaism, the use of the Hebrew calendar, um, different approaches to Jewish prayer in nature, embodied approaches to mentoring um, and a whole, whole curriculum. And we found that people took that curriculum out and launched, um, you know, spinoffs uh, uh, that were particular to their community or organization, etc. And that was really exciting. Um, we are now uh, developing a more targeted uh, scaling approach to one of our programs. And the, the program is called Neshama Quest. Neshama means soul. Quest is, well, it's a quest. And the Shama Quest is basically a week-long backpacking trip with some of the best and brightest mentors in Wilderness Torah, taking people out for a week um, of being deep in the wilderness. In our case, we take them to the, the, the Sierra of California into some very stunning mountain environments. 
to um, play and pray together, uh, to build community together, and to commune in the in a deep way, including some solo time, some prayer time, learning about Jewish tradition, and having a you know expansive, awe-inspiring um, time in the mountains. We are beginning to look um, with Jewish Federations of North America how to scale that program, and um, the the director of that program, Itamar Cohen. Um, worked for Our Bound for many years, and uh, he is leading the charge on how to scale that program. And if we can success, successfully scale that program, um, you know, then we'll see. And the aim would be to train people to learn how to do that and then take it into their home communities rather than Wilderness Torah owning um, the program, you know. So it's really a train-the-trainer idea, and that's how we want to begin scaling this in various places. You did Outward Bound when you were a kid, didn't you? <laughs> I did. That's a very good memory. Or maybe you saw that. <laughs> I did. I was an Outward Bound. Not only did I do Outward Bound, I was an Outward Bound instructor in Colorado um, at the turn of the millennia, um, right before I went to law school. So in 2000, 99 and 2000, I was an Outward Bound instructor in Colorado. And, you know, it's actually one of the moments where I really began to understand um, myself and my gifts as a leader and the power of the wilderness and how I came alive in the wilderness and how as a mentor, that's where I did my best work. Um, and I never forgot that. And when I went to law school, became a lawyer, did the law thing, and then discovered that I was off my track, off my path, I remember some of those experiences and it helped me come back uh, to doing what my soul was really here to do. Well, I'm very happy that you, uh, you made that journey and crossed that bridge and do the work you do now. Uh, I'm... I've always been honored to know that you and I for a while crossed paths doing our program together and that since then you've got had a family and children and all those wonderful things and you've grown this beautiful community uh, and I wish you nothing but the best. It's uh, wilderness-torah.org, I believe. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. So if people want to find out more about it, wilderness-torah.org and uh, I thank you for the time you spent with me just now. Yeah, Ralph, thank you so much. It's great to reconnect, and I appreciate you asking the really powerful questions that led to this, uh, this great conversation. Rabbi Zeller Golden is uh, now the creative director, the curator, as it were, of Wilderness Torah, and you can find him and the work that they all do at wildernesstorah.org. I'm Ralph Benmergi. This is Not That Kind of Rabbi, and I thank you for taking the time to listen and take care of each other, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Not That Kind of Rabbi. If you enjoyed your time with us, we'd love for you to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Our show is produced and edited by Michael Freeman. We're part of the CJN Podcast Network. And to support our work with a tax-deductible donation, all you have to do is visit thecjn.ca slash donate. Take care of each other. Bye.